You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 324. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this podcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra presence to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the service we are using to build the Lively Community Foundation website. We've used it for many other websites in the past of Team Lively as well. It is so perfect, especially in cases like this. We have so many people that are involved in this. We have the photographer, we have the, or photographers in this case, we have the web designer that's actually going to customize the Squarespace site the way we want it so it'll have that extra, extra custom feel. And we have Nishi, our foundation director, and myself that may pop in there from time to time. So there's a lot of people in the kitchen and this platform, Squarespace, is so beautiful for things like this. When you have a lot of people working on a project together, it is so easy to log in and be able to update copy and have designs updated on the fly. So right now it's not yet done. We're actually working on it as I present this to you guys, but it truly is a wonderful tool, especially if you have a team or if you are just getting started in your online business of some sort and you wanna have a really stellar design right from the start. As I always say, I really do recommend Squarespace. They have done such an excellent job, especially in the user interface for you guys to actually use it on the back end and update as you go with your new businesses. But also along with that, the design is just so beautiful. If you pick a template and then you go to a photographer and say, hey, this is the design of the site I want to use. How can we make our photography that we're going to take together match and align with this? You can get such a custom look so easily. If you want to try it yourself, you can go over to squarespace.com lively for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, if you like it, you can use the offer code lively to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. I hope you love it as much as we do. In addition, we also have FreshBooks as a sponsor today. FreshBooks is bookkeeping software for business owners that have to track their business expenses, invoicing, you name it. When it comes to bookkeeping software, this is the easiest and most intuitive one I have ever found. I've loved it so much. And one of the features that I actually just was using this week and I was thinking, this is so handy. One of the things that's so great is once you invoice someone, you can actually see if they've viewed the invoice itself. So it'll show us whether it's been sent or if it's been actually viewed, which is kind of nice because then you know they've got it and not only have they received it, they've actually looked at it. And if they haven't paid in a little while, you can also in two clicks of, you know, just click that invoice, see that it was viewed or not, and then you can resend the invoice. Again, just giving them a little nudge if they haven't paid yet that you can receive that payment even quicker. And it's so simple. You don't have to even email them. It'll just go straight back out to them once again. So that's just another tip trick that I've used through FreshBooks and have loved it. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. If you want to get a free 30-day trial to give it a shot, the start of the new year is a perfect time to start finding a new bookkeeping system. If you're interested, you can go over to freshbooks.com lively to get that free 30-day trial. And if you love it as much as I do, you can add the lively show in the how did you hear about us section. All right, guys, tonight I am recording this on Tuesday, although you're listening on Thursday. We are doing our first collective collective. I'm so excited to see what this group becomes as we join together the group of people that are physically enjoying the non-physical teachers that call themselves the collective through the lively show. You've heard Annie Francoeur, the channel of the collective, and I talk many, many, many times about different topics, but now we're going to actually have the collective collective people submit the questions to the collective and see how things go as a group and also what they said was expanding beyond words. 
But for today's episode, I'm actually going to follow up with another Q&A episode like I did last week. I got so many comments on Instagram in direct messages and also in the comment section on Instagram in the square that people loved that episode in hearing me share. Now, of course, like I said at the top of that show, I used to think a spiritual teacher (laughs) was like, I guess I don't, I don't even know if I would call myself that, but I was definitely more one to many than one-on-one in my previous years as someone in the space. So I don't know, whatever it was called. I now realize it's not ultimately necessary to consciousness expanding beyond the mind. It's an inevitable natural part of the process of consciousness to expand. And so eventually, of course, it will expand beyond the mind for people, whether or not Jess Lively (laughs) has a podcast or does any classes whatsoever. So I no longer feel any kind of worry or concern for the well-being of anyone listening in the sense that I know you're going to be fine. I know you're going to get this too. I know I will as well. We are going to get there. We don't know how we're going to get there in the mind, but we know that it's an inevitable conclusion of the journey of this experience called humanity. So I find that kind of comforting. (laughs) So that's why I've stepped back a lot when it comes to sharing. Like it's just more interesting to me personally to share the content from the collective, from a non-physical point of view to me just has so much more value and insight than just a regular old humble human like me. So that said, I can see all of the comments and all of the people sharing that it was so aligning to hear me share from the muggle perspective, from someone on the ground from someone with two feet on planet Earth that is in the pre-enlightened state, but completely dedicated to the journey of this in my life. Like there's just nothing I want to experience more. My mind may have other shiny pennies, like having a family or partner, et cetera, but Even all of that, if you had to say, not that it's this or that, obviously it's not, but if I had to pick, like I am so committed to that. I've literally traveled the world for years and years, not just like settling down somewhere against my intuition. I've allowed myself to flow forever, forever, forever. So we'll see. Not that that's, like I said, even necessary for realization, but it's just to say I'm really, really committed to this. And so I think from what I was seeing is that people enjoy hearing from my perspective. But as always, one other caveat to this, I am committed to my individual, you could call it soul journey, and no other consciousness will ever experience itself in the same way as another. Why would consciousness recreate itself multiple times in exactly the same way? So everyone's journey to realization will be different. I just have the courage to follow what my inner being, inner voice whatever you want to call it, is leading me to. So it's looked very extreme to some cases, but that said, this is just the way it is for me. And so your life and your inner voice will be guiding you in the perfect ways that's right for you. But I'll just share the honest answers to the questions you guys have asked me about my life or anything that I can helpfully help you with as well. Okay, so let's get started. And by the way, as always, these questions are off the top of the head. I have not even looked at these. They're all on Instagram and they were submitted there. Miriam Brenning asked, I feel like my inner voice only repeats stuff I've learned about consciousness, etc. And it's always very vague and unsatisfying. Plus, my mind blocks answers to the big questions. Do you have any tips for this? P.S. I love the energy of your shows. It makes my day. Okay, so yeah, it repeats stuff I've already learned about consciousness. Well, if you've already learned it, 
that is just a sign that you're going along with the path that you're already on. So just keep going in the sense that sometimes it will surprise you though. If you can open up enough, you can get answers that are not so tactical to things that maybe you've read from Eckhart Tolle or Abraham Hicks or something like that. So that is always really nice when you do get those. Like I remember once I heard, for example, it's a gift, not an expense from my inner voice when it was in relationship to relationships. And it's obviously an obvious truth. But when it said that to me, it was such a wise insight for how I was approaching relationships. I thought I needed to earn them. And what it was showing me was that I was trying to earn it rather than just receive it. So that was beyond my mind's ability to perceive. And I was really happy when I heard that. You may as you keep going, because you got to keep going, girl, just keep going. You just probably don't have as much experience with it. The more practice you have, the more variations you'll get. So just keep going in that sense. Like, yeah, you can get a lot of the stuff that you've already learned, but that doesn't mean also if it's telling you something that you have already learned that you're actually integrating and applying it. Because if you were integrating and applying it truly in your life in that moment, you wouldn't be asking the question to the inner voice. You would actually be living whatever it was already speaking about. So it's still useful to take when it tells you something you've already heard before into consideration. In terms of your mind blocking big answers to the big questions, that could be obviously fear, but also a sign that it's not time yet. If your mind is truly blocking out of fear, like should I leave a relationship, should I stay, or career stuff, those are tend to be really big decisions in the mind. If it's blocking it out of fear, it's not time yet. What a relief. It's not time to quit the job. It's not time to leave the relationship. If your mind is blocking the answer, it's because there's so much fear. It's not time yet. Why would your inner voice terrify your mind so badly that it would go beyond what your mind is ready to hear? It loves you. It has compassion for you. It's not trying to torture you. So that is actually your answer. If your mind is blocking those big questions, Allow yourself, allow the mind to be afraid, to be scared, to not know what's going to happen, and to live each moment from that point. That's all you have to do. Just keep going. And over time, things will change. That's the nature of this reality. Things will change. And as things change, things might get worse, they might get better. But either way, the fear eventually will unblock, will kind of hinge itself from this blocking nature. And you will either have tons of data to make the decision, a pure knowing feeling in the pit of your stomach one way or the other, or you'll actually hear an actual answer. But the other way you can also say is, what can I know about this situation right now? So that is a general question you can also ask. So go way, way, way more broad than should I leave or should I go? What should I know about this relationship right now? Or what should I know about this job? Or what can this situation teach me right now? Then at least you're getting something beneficial out of the current experience you're in while you're waiting for the fear to subside and clarity to come in. Okay, now we've got Jen Andrews. He said, how do you let go of regrets of saying the wrong thing to someone or letting personal feelings and ego affect professional decisions after the fact? Like you did something, realize you did it wrong, maybe, and wish you could take it back. Huh. Well, I don't know exactly a situation, but my first instinct would be go tell the person that you would have done it differently if you could have. Like what's stopping you? I don't know a situation specifically. So, you know, maybe there is a use case scenario where that's not true. But my first thought is... Why not go tell them, hey, I totally saw this from this like, you know, 
trigger place or I didn't have all the information or I had this new, you know, realization and insight come to me, X, Y, Z, and see if you can update it. It's not an over situation necessarily. Maybe it's just an updating situation. And other than that, of course, ask your inner voice in a situation where you don't feel like that's appropriate. Maybe asking your inner voice for guidance would be more clear. But for me, I would just first thought is when you know better, you do better. So (laughs) have the humility. Like, what do you have to prove? Right? Like, what are we really here to? Like, there's just a character and a persona of ego that's afraid to admit it that it's wrong. Okay. So it's afraid to admit it's wrong, but wouldn't it feel a lot better to feel updated and authentic to where it is now, even with that other person? And doesn't that shed a huge persona potentially for the ego that it has to always get it right, that it has to always be perfect at it? And it doesn't mean that that even needs to change the situation. Like, let's say you turned a client away for whatever reason and then wanted to change that decision and they still didn't want to work with you after you came back to them. Okay. How wonderful. Who cares? But The fact that you've done it may be the bigger egoic letting go and the personal gain that you get from something like that. So I would just say, in most cases, just say, hey, look, I see it differently. I've expanded my point of view. There's new information now, whatever that is. Or if that doesn't feel safe for whatever reasons, ask your inner voice for the answer. Next up, we have One Lovely Life One who said, what is a good resource for learning about high vibration foods? I don't know, actually, what learning about a high vibration foods. I would say, obviously, my first instinct is the closer to source. Although, you know, this is an interesting. I did a theta healing session years ago, fun modality, and I was doing some testing on some subconscious beliefs around foods. And at that time, I had a lot of sensitivities to gluten, dairy, eggs, etc., around the skin and rebalancing of my hormones, etc. You guys have heard that if you've listened to the show a long time ago. But one of the things that came out of that was that I realized I had a subconscious program in my mind that didn't consciously <laughs> need to exist there at all. But it basically was this idea subconsciously, my mind had interpreted all of these gluten-free, dairy-free, egg-free lifestyle, basically I guess it was almost, I wasn't eating meat except for seafood. So it's kind of this pescatarian-ish, vegan-ish diet that I was kind of restricted to was more high vibration, was closer to source energy. Now, of course, I think quality of food, whether it's energetics is like an Oreo or let's say, a banana, the formation might be different. Now, that said, I'm now at such a weird magical level that I'm, (laughs) if I felt like eating 60 Oreos, I want to be able to do that and have no negative outcome. But as I spoke to a very wise spiritual teacher, she said, you know, you can't until you can. So it doesn't mean that that's impossible, that you could be able to enjoy everything on the planet fully and freely, and not that you would ever feel like 60 Oreos would be what your inner voice wants to eat. Does it ever really want to eat anything to that excess? Probably not. But the idea what I wanted to break was my mind's limitation to what was possible. But anyways, all of this is to say there's so many different parts of my journey on this concept around like things like high vibration objects like food, etc. So back then when I was in the restricted because of the health stuff, I had this subconscious belief that the bananas, the preciously cooked and sourced smoked salmon, et cetera, et cetera, all that stuff that is, I would say, like in a great way, often high quality, was more close to source, was closer to that high vibration than something like sheep's milk cheese, I guess. But that said, again, what I realized was the sheep is just as much the universe or God source energy, whatever you want to call it, as the banana. So 
if some wonderful farmer in France had this herd of sheep and they created this sheep's milk cheese and I got it at a store and I loved and enjoyed it. We're not talking Velveeta necessarily here, but again, I now kind of magically even think that if you really magically inner being felt like eating Velveeta, you could eat it without any negative repercussions because you're a freaking magi. <laughs> I've gotten weird, guys. If you wanted to do that, I feel like that what would stop this reality from providing the ability for you to do that. But what could resources? I don't know. But my thought now is also from that previous perspective is to stop looking at a mango as being subconsciously higher vibration than a sheep's milk. Like there's many stories in minds of humans that say X, Y, Z from different perspectives on all of that. But for me, on a pure energetic level, I just realized that I was being incredibly short-sighted for me to think that the person that had the passion to make the cheese and the sheeps that provided it in, you know, a pretty good quality of life, hopefully in these cases, again, not talking about situations where it's like sweatshop animals, but the good type of farming, et cetera. Why am I saying that that can't be something I enjoy in this reality? If I am freaking God, why would I not be able to have brie on some bread? Like if I want to drink wine and have brie and have bread, shouldn't I be able to do so? But again, like the wise woman told me, you can't until you can. Now I can. It's lovely. Back then, my body was more sensitive, but part of it was due to those subconscious beliefs. So anyways, all this saying, I don't know what the good resource for you and your high vibration foods might be, but these are random stories from my weird journey around (laughs) consciousness and food. Also, she asks, do you have someone you suggest working for with law of attraction with children? It's easy for me to apply it to myself, but adding children is an entirely new layer. Um, of course, my first resource would be to go to Abraham Hicks and search children or uh, parenting if you're looking for information for you about how to raise the children. But also I know that Esther and Abraham Hicks have content. I think it's called the Sarah books I've heard on videos that they speak about these books that are law of attraction for kids. So that might be a place to start. Oh man, guys, that like food question was so funny because now I'm starting to see all the different shades and phases my mind has gone through over the years on topics like this. Oh, so funny. It's like, well, Jess in 2016 would have said this. Jess in 2018 would have said this. Jess in 2020 doesn't really care. (laughs) But okay, let's keep going. Kate Doster said, what crystals are you feeling the most? How is your business generating income while you follow flow? What crystals am I feeling the most? Whatever is pretty and feels good. I don't even think about the names of them anymore. (laughs) Again, just 2017 would have told you all the crystals, their names, what their properties are, et cetera, et cetera. Now I kind of remember their names and it's fun, but really I still feel into how a crystal makes me feel when I look at it, just like I would feel into how a piece of clothing makes me feel when I wear it. It's so funny. I used to think all these things, which was fun to be a part of what I lovingly call the spiritual circus, like to have like all of this like 
stuff attached to this stuff. But it's like, why would the crystal actually no? scientifically, we've got there's some special properties to crystals. We've done the episode on that. But now I also see that even an outfit, you can feel into an outfit as much as you can in a object like a food. Oh my goodness, this truffle mayo here in Cape Town. It is one of the most high vibration foods like when I eat it and also the Almighty Foods Raspberry Whip in London. It's from Scotland. So if you're in the UK, you could probably find it at Whole Foods or bougie kind of grocery stores or look up Almighty Foods and find their stock list. But oh, the Raspberry Whip is so good. Those are products that are made by food companies, but they're so delicious. And when I eat them, it is truly a aligning high vibration experience. I actually, I'm like, what magic are they applying to these two products? But Anyways, I digress. What I'm saying, though, is that crystals, even though there are magical properties in the sense of the molecular structures of crystals that are unique and wonderful, I feel more like how I felt about crystals about almost anything in my life. How do these flowers make me feel? How does this outfit make me feel? How does the truffle mayo make me feel? All of those things are aligning in the same way crystals would. So I don't think of them too much about like properties and individuated things, that doesn't mean that the qualities that people would ascribe to those crystals aren't actively useful in my life. But I just travel with a few that I felt were beautiful, special, and light enough for me to qualify my mind worth dragging around in a suitcase whenever I move from place to place. (laughs) And as far as my business generating income while I follow flow, well, I have a few rental properties, three of them actually, two of them are pure rental properties and one of them I've previously lived in myself. So there's some flow there. There's also the online course Collective Collective we've just launched and podcast income. And then every now and then I'll do client sessions. So that's where income comes at the moment. But of course, there are many streams. And this is something that when I do client sessions, I've realized is in also my own journey has been so interesting is that humans tend to be so nearsighted, so limited to this idea that money can only come from very few avenues, typically and mostly in their day-to-day living, they tend to, and this is obviously generalizing here, they tend to think that money can only come in one direction, one flow, one stream, and they stare at that stream, whether it's a paycheck or whether it's their business income, and they just stare at it and wait and stare and wait and stare and wait. And then they fixate on this one single stream where every inner voice I ever worked with is like, there are hundreds of streams that can come to you. But if you don't believe or allow or vibrate at the potential of that, you're not going to receive that because you create your own reality. So if you only believe and only fixate on this one stream and you have resistance to the money not coming through there, then you're just going to get this really dried up stream that's not satisfying. But if you just open up to say, there are 500 ways money could come to me. I don't know what those 500 ways are, nor is it my responsibility in the mind to know what they are. Your mind does not need to know the way the money is going to flow. It will provide if you allow. And that's what I've noticed. So more and more streams are coming to me as I allow the possibility for more streams to exist. So yeah, that's been my interesting experience with it, is living in the unknown, but only the unknown of the mind. Oh, God, I guess there is stuff for me. (laughs) I still get really passionate about this subject. And God knows I've realized as I date, this is like all I think about and all I live, breathe and die at the moment, especially. And (laughs) maybe I should talk to you guys more just to get it out. So I'm not just like sharing it with all the humans that I know in my real life. I could just get it out with you guys. Would you guys like that? (laughs) Maybe I should do more Q&As. Anyways, maybe not. But either way, just thinking out loud here. 
Now we also have Most Ballin who asks, how did you get past money fears? Oh, this was good. There's so many eras of Jess to describe. Early days of like 2007 is when I graduated college. 2008 was the big recession in the United States that really hit, especially the retail market when I was a jewelry designer. And I also moved to Chicago with no full-time job ever. I started my company straight out of college and had $700 in a bank account that I had saved up from the years of doing the jewelry design and selling while I was in college. So that was my big fund. My big savings was the $700 that I had in the account. And then I just schlepped and I felt like a hunter-gatherer for a long time in the business, getting it started, hunting and gathering, going out there, making orders through stores and then making the jewelry and repeating that over and over again. And then the recession hit in about a year, year and a half, which was fascinating. And actually, even though on the surface that seemed terrible, oh guys, that's why we gotta trust. Our minds have no idea what's coming next, but when we do follow intuition and we do flow with the intuition, things get set up for you in such a magical synchronicity that you couldn't even have imagined mentally or understood mentally because you didn't know the future. But the perfect thing about the recession was it stopped me from focusing on the wholesale market to store, selling my jewelry to stores because the retail took such a huge hit, a lot of stores closed down. So I couldn't rely on that the way that I had when I had 100 stores selling the jewelry back in the day. So once all that had to shift, I shifted to blogging online, and that's when the Make Under My Life blog, which is the first iteration of my online presence, started, which was always the point, was to help people. So that was just the first place I did so. And then the jewelry sales started to shift to an online platform as well, so that kind of shifted me to becoming this online entrepreneur through the jewelry at first. But either way, all of this to say, started with no money or 700, which is not a lot of money, and kept going. What I realized when I look back to all those early years is that it always worked out. It always worked out. If you think about it, your own life too. It's always worked out because you're still here right now. So whatever I decided back then, I remember I was like a pretty emotional purchaser. I was not aware of law of attraction back then, but if I felt good about like having a big order, then I could go to J. Crew and get a shirt or something like that. And if I didn't feel good, because you never had any guarantee as an entrepreneur, especially in those early days and so hand to mouth in a lot of ways. I would go on what I felt I could emotionally afford based on how my mind perceived recent events, whether I had big orders or et cetera, that kind of thing. But it always worked out. And I remember one time when I broke up with my college boyfriend at 25 or so, I remember we made the decision to break up very peacefully. You could go back in the archives and hear about it more. But it was a really beautiful and spiritually expanding breakup, consciousness expanding breakup, because we stayed together. We felt we had the story that we were too poor to break the lease, which wasn't really ultimately factual. We probably could have put the money together. And if he was like aggressive or actually a bad person, I would have gotten out of there, right? So we just didn't leave the relationship. We stayed together in the relationship for about four or five months while the lease ran its course. But once we did split up and once that September 1 deadline for our lease ended and we broke up on that day, because that's what we were waiting for, I remember as that summer played out that I understood why he needed to find himself. He hadn't done a lot of personal inner reflection at that point in his life. And I think he just needed to have more sense of himself on his own before he would be ready for marriage. And I'd already done a lot of introspection in college. So I already kind of went through my quarter life crisis and had a deeper sense of myself and was ready for that next step. 
So out of that is why we broke up because he needed to have more time. And I knew that he deserved to have that experience. And while that was all true, this is going back to money, I decided, because we had moved from these two $800 a month studio apartments. His was nicer than mine. We lived in it for two years. We lived in a studio apartment for two years. I want to—I always say, if you want to get a scope of how big this studio is, <laughs> you could vacuum it with one plug. So you didn't have to unplug the vacuum to vacuum the entire apartment. The only door, we took down the closet doors because that felt confining. The only door we had was the door to the bathroom. So if you, we never fought or anything. We were just a really lovely relationship. But if you were ever upset, you had to just go like pout three feet away from the bed on the sofa. <laughs> Very close quarters. We did that for two years. And then I used my studio as my working studio. So like we lived in his studio apartment. I worked in mine. They happened to flow to be across the street from one another. So close commute. But that last year that we were together, we upgraded our lives and combined our incomes to like $1,800 a month together to get a two-bedroom apartment with, get this, granite countertops. And I love interiors. So that was a really exciting <laughs> manifestation for me. And when we broke up, I did not want to go back to living with the budget in Chicago in Lakeview of the, you know, seven, $800 a month budget. So I decided just because he needs to go figure himself out, this is not a sign that I need to go back to living in the old studio or that old price point, which wasn't going to get me very much or very nice things in the area I loved being in. I made a decision. <laughs> and this is what I've noticed. Again, you get what you decide you can have. So I made the decision that I was not being asked to leave that apartment building. So I decided to get a one bedroom in the same building that I had previously been living in. I was like, I love this building. This relationship, though I understand and compassion, he needs to end so that he can find himself. <laughs> All of that's true, but I'm staying here. I'm staying with my granite countertops. I'm staying with this. I'm going to stay. And so it was a $1,450 a month, I think, rent. So this was a significant increase from my previous price point of like, normally I was spending about eight to $900 a month. Now I'm just arbitrarily, no change in the business, no idea what's coming in the future, just said, nope, I can afford this. I'm going to make this work. And I didn't know how I'd make it work, but that was the level of, you know, intuition or whatever. And my inner voice, I didn't ask it about whether I should or not. I just made the decision. And guess what? It worked out. Like the money was always there. When I needed it, the money was there. And even later, later, a few years later, down the line, now I'm married, now I'm working on writing well, what I thought would become Life with Intention, a book. I spent 14 months working on this book and I used my credit line for the business that I had previously had for my accessory line. I used for a period of time to help while I worked on the book content because I felt my inner voice say, write a book. And so that was my focus and I didn't want to do it in a haphazard manner or too rushed. I wanted to give what would be worthy of the title Life with Intention. That's a heavy title and I took it very seriously. So I spent this 14 months working on the content for it and felt very comfortable, very aligned to using this credit line that I'd had from my company to help get us through that period of my time. 
Now it was a limited, I think it was like capped at like 15,000 was the credit line. And so it never went beyond that, but it never felt like credit card debt. Interestingly, obviously debt is debt. So it's kind of the same, but the way I looked at it, just the pay schedules is slightly different than a credit card. The rate was obviously much smaller than a credit card and it just felt fine. I just had a total alignment. You know that binge eating feeling you can have when you're kind of out of control and you're out of alignment with your inner being? And so you're kind of doing something and you later regret it. There is a rushedness to that feeling that doesn't feel good inside. I didn't have that feeling using the debt. Now, some people purchase things and they feel that rushed, bingy, Oreo, too many Oreos feeling in their stomach while they're using their debt. That was not how I felt about this. I felt very aligned to my inner being on it and I used it. And then what I didn't see coming was that whole 14 months, I ended up eventually turning that into the course, Life with Intention Online, and that course ended up making far more money than a book deal ever would have and also helped thousands of people around the world, more importantly, but also cash flow wise, if you're talking about money fears, that course ended up paying back all the debt very easily, the 15K for the credit line. So it was never, ever an issue. And again, my point is to say, and it all worked out. Even when I had debt, I wasn't worried about it. I wasn't concerned about it. I wasn't out of control about it. I was in alignment even in that situation. Minds just tell stories that say debt is bad. Most businesses in the large scope of businesses often use debt. It's not a bad thing, but humans have this persona that it's this like scarlet letter of shame and it doesn't need to be when it's in alignment with your inner being. So I digress on all of that. But just to say, it's almost like if someone is what people could consider overweight and then they get this scarlet letter of being out of shape and it's like, that's just humans. That is just one phase the saying that and judging that, first of all. And also it's just a phase of your life. My goodness, I was just a phase of my life. There wasn't some scarlet letter needing to be on my chest because I had debt, nor if someone has a baby and they have baby weight and it takes a while to come off, it's okay. <laughs> it's all fine. We're all consciousness just experiencing this reality with other minds judging us and then we adopt those thoughts and then we end up unhappy. Oh my goodness, I'm just wild at this point, guys. What is happening? But this is all about the question of how did you get past money fears? Oh, okay. So now we're up to some debt and I'm still fine with that and I flowed and the alignment of the course happened. It all went away. That was great. And then the next big part there's two other money fear stages. So as you can see, this all kind of evolves and hopefully some of these stages might be useful for you guys. I love you. Just know if you're still listening here. <laughs> uh, it's all personal experience. I guess that is the gift of the Jess Lively character in her muggle state for you guys is that I am living this stuff and I am dedicated. I am all in. So if you know you can have the collective and Abraham and Eckhart and all those amazing teachers, but here is just my real life story applying this stuff to the very nth ability of my ability. Okay, so we're going on. Moving on to now let's fast forward right before I got divorced. Yeah, this is now I'm now 30 and a half at that point. I am living in a house in Michigan with my husband. We want to do a big house renovation update and we need some cash. Now, it was really lovely to find the trust in the course and life with intention and the flow from that and align to just like trusting it, but not needing a specific amount. And then it all worked out. But here I was in a place where I actually needed about $70,000 or something like that for this house update. So now I had a specific goal at a specific timeline and that never felt like a specific goal or timeline. I just knew at some point it would go away. 
this was different. And so I did two webinars selling Life with Intention online back then, so years and years ago. And they were back to back. One was like on a Tuesday, one was on a Wednesday or a Thursday. So the first webinar, people would ask questions and they would ask about what content that was in the course, but they were asking in the free webinar for me to basically coach what was in the material in the class. And so I found myself being a little bit egoically frustrated by like the, I was like, oh, well, this is covered in the course. So they were asking these questions at the end that were literally the course content. And so I kept referring to, like, it's in the course. So if you'd like to join us, we will teach and talk about this exact topic, but it's in the course. And when I thought about it later, when I felt into how it felt to do that webinar, I didn't like the feeling of pushing the course. I didn't like my resistance to the questions and the ego's like mild annoyance about the questions. And so when I thought about doing the next webinar, I said, no matter what, I never want to have that feeling of feeling kind of salesy in a way, or like it felt like by referring to the course, I wasn't addressing the question that was asked, which is true and understandable. But all of that said, I didn't like how I felt. And I said, next time when I do the webinar, this next one, I want to be in alignment no matter what. And again, I didn't have the word alignment yet. I didn't even know Abraham yet, but I just knew I wanted to feel good in my intuition. That's probably the language I would have used back then. And I said, no matter what happens, no matter what questions they ask, I don't want to feel like I'm pushing the course. So I did the next webinar and I answered the questions that people asked them in a brief manner and I didn't push the course so much. Now, after that, it was so interesting because in the immediate 24 hours after each webinar, the sales bump from the first one was slightly higher initially than the second one. But the shift was in me, the big realization, and I knew I really had moved the energy because when I looked at the numbers, I felt so aligned to the way energetically I showed up in the second one that the lower sales number, even though we wanted to do the house edition, even though I had a specific target in mind, I didn't care. I wanted the alignment within myself, the intuition, the energy in myself. It became more important to me than the outcome of this house edition for my family, which was very important to my mind and ego at the time, et cetera. Over the time, as the launch continued, we did a great launch and it was awesome. But the shift from the misalignment of trying to push for an outcome in the first webinar to the second one saying, no matter what, even if it means the house doesn't happen, I'd rather feel good than have the house edition done at an expense or at a cost of my own energy not feeling in alignment with my intuition. Like I'd rather not do the house thing. Now that's some alignment. If <laughs> you could let your ego step back from its whole story about the family and how you're trying to provide for it and blah, 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 whatever mental stories you have to go, I want to feel in alignment with how I show up for the people that I serve and that I help when I'm doing it more than my own family or more than my own egoic desires and dreams. Ooh, that's some alignment. That's some trust. That's some allowing. Now, back then, I didn't have the whole broader scope that like money could have come other ways. You know, I didn't even have that. I was just willing to let it all go just for the sake of feeling good in myself and not feeling like I was being salesy. So that was an interesting money block thing. But basically why or how I got over that was because I felt how crappy it felt the first webinar afterwards to feel like I pushed 
And I felt how great it felt to feel like I didn't push in the second one. And I wanted the feeling of that, which is all Abraham 101, right? I was in alignment. I felt good regardless of the outcome. And when I felt that good, of course, the outcome followed. So then that's when abundance really came in in the years after that. And that money, ironically, that I earned and did make the amount we would have needed for the house addition became this emergency fund that allowed me to see that I could support myself in an aligned way through my work while being divorced. Like that amount of money felt like I could get several months of my life taken care of if needed as a nice like six month emergency fund. And so when we shortly after that decided, and it wasn't like I decided (laughs) to get divorced because I figured out money alignment, that was never the point, but it did align up that I had that at like the same time. It was all kind of bubbling and occurring in this beautiful synchronistic way simultaneously, but that was a piece of it. And then most recently taking the six month sabbatical last year, that was fast. I think it was six months, however long I dropped the mic on the podcast and just didn't do online classes, didn't do the podcast. That was fascinating as far as money fears. And that's what opened me up to what I previously said about the multiple streams of income, that we think there's like one way. And historically, my stream of income mostly was through the courses and the podcast income. But once I let go of doing that kind of stuff, what I saw was that money started coming in other directions. So that was fascinating. And just basically living life and living in alignment, you'll just see these things come up. And then as you get back into alignment, the fears will fall away. Okay, so hope you're enjoying this. All right, now we have Allowing Happiness, who said, Hi Jess, how do you find flow with moving around a lot? Well, I feel like the moving around a lot is flow (laughs) in itself. Where I move is where it flows for me to be. So this last year, if I look at 2019, I had the place in Detroit, thought I mentally thought that was where I was supposed to be, but then the weather was very cold. I had some trips to, to go to some conferences in Hawaii, and that was pretty close to Sydney, so I go back to Sydney as a trip and then meet someone who wants me to come back to Australia. So I go back to Detroit, kind of get everything set up so that I could go back to Australia for a longer period of time. And then I felt that like that invitation to come back to pursue that possible relationship was worthwhile at the time. And it really was, even though the relationship didn't work out, going back to Australia was something I never, ever, ever, ever in a million years would have considered. But that relationship was so special that I wanted to see where it could go. So I did open myself up to letting go of all the Detroit stuff I had just made all those progresses on. And then even as the relationship ended, right as it ended, the person that rents my place now in Detroit came into my life, right? And the weekend that we broke up was the weekend she messaged me to rent it. So I knew Flo would have me not coming back to Detroit. It wasn't because the breakup happened a sign that I needed to go back to Detroit. It was me staying in Sydney, but having the place rented out, which I did not ever imagine. That happened. Then I flowed in Sydney and then Australia said, you need to come back on a different visa. (laughs) So when I left, I came back to Detroit, worked on a fourth property I thought I was going to purchase. That did not flow as it unfolded. It got more and more complicated. So I let it go and went to Europe because again, my big place was rented. This other place was possibly gonna be rented slash a place for me to be when I wanted to be there. But since it didn't flow and it didn't work out, I went to London because it sounded fun in the fall. I love London and hadn't been back in a while. Spent a few months there until it was getting dark at like 3 p.m. And I hadn't seen summer all year at this point because it, besides a little bit of summer in Sydney in maybe February, March, 
So I was really keen to have some summer weather. So I decided staying for six months of a year long. You can only be in the UK for six months out of a year. And I did not really want to spend the six months in like the worst weather in London possible and then not be able to be there in the nicest weather. So I decided I don't want to waste my six months of the visa on the crappy weather. So let me go somewhere else. And I kept meeting South Africans in London. Even in Michigan, I was meeting South Africans. And I met South Africans in Australia. So Cape Town, which I've been to previously, just started to kind of bubble up through conversations and interactions and all these meetings. And so it became an interesting place for me to consider as a Southern Hemisphere alternative to Sydney. So I got here and I've been here ever since. I have to leave at the end of February, early March. We'll see where that is. It'll either end up being a trip somewhere else. I don't even know where it would be yet. It'll be in about a month and then I could come back. So it could be a a short trip somewhere else and then I could return. Or potentially we are looking at a possibility on possibly going back to Australia. So allowing either option to unfold. But again, this is us talking about flow while I move. (laughs) Where I live is literally flow. So, and then of course that just like dials down even to smaller levels of things. Like when I'm in places, I flow in similar ways based on circumstances and situations lining up. I make decisions accordingly. So the bigger macro of where did I live last year and why aligns with like, then it would be like, how did I find a place because of how the flow of that unfolded at a smaller level. And then it gets kind of down to -to day-to-day stuff. And again, it all comes back to what is aligning for me in the present moment. Now we have Vlada asks, how is your eyesight now? I also stopped using lenses two years ago. Love you. Aw, thank you. Well, I spent two years not wearing glasses or contacts, except for I had like some light, light prescription lenses for things like getting into an airport and needing to navigate the world because my prescription's negative four, which people that know glasses, some of you guys will know. That's a pretty serious prescription, but not like negative eight. I wasn't legally blind, but it was definitely impairing (laughs) to my perception of reality compared to 2020. I have shared that I was like, I just want to be a magical unicorn and I want to heal my eyes. And yeah, that was cool. I didn't have that full like transformation experience where it stayed 2020 and never went back. What I found over the two years as I didn't wear the glasses is that sight is malleable. Sight changes. I can see 3020, which is almost 2020 in certain light conditions and in focusing conditions. So I can see almost perfectly at times, but it's not a 24-7 experience. And in darker lighting or in dimmer conditions or in incandescent lighting, it's more difficult than broad daylight. So it was very varied. It could be negative four still, or it could be almost 20-20 and other conditions. And I loved that experience and it taught me so much. I could do a whole episode on like what I learned from my eyesight in terms of reality, what is important when you can see and what is important when you can't see very clearly and different things. Faith, feeling into energy of people and places and things was where I kind of developed more my sixth sense. I never got better at hearing or smelling the way they say that people that are blind tend to have more amplified senses on the other four. 
I didn't go to the other four. What I did was develop my sixth. I developed a sense of energy about people or places or things because I couldn't see very clearly the detail. I'd have to feel into things. That was fascinating. The idea that this is not a very solid reality and that everything is empty space is really easy to get on board with when everything is blurry. (laughs) You can't see it very clearly. So it's very easy to take this whole life experience as malleable when your eyes can't even see it in crisp dimension anyways. So all of that said, it was wonderful and amazing. And then in true, like going beyond the mind journey, part of that whole thing is getting rid of the egoic identity. And what I realized is that the Jess Lively had created a new identity. She was the unicorn that wasn't wearing glasses or contacts. So in a way... It wasn't because, oh, let me break my ego more. But what it did do is the decision to wear contacts and glasses again and see on a regular basis, clearly in the sense of more 2020, was a part of breaking the ego. It was like, oh, wait, I'm not going to be the person doing this. My ultimate conclusion of it is that if when I'm supposed to see Super 2020 without wearing glasses or contacts, that shall happen, but there's no amount of efforting or exercises that is going to make that happen from my mind. So my mind has created the preference, but at the same time now, I don't have any resistance to wearing the aids like contacts or glasses. And I have the openness to receiving full vision and sight if or when my inner being wants that to be the case. But until then, I'm not going to worry about it. And it's been nice to then come back into glasses and even re-wearing them again brought up so much fear. And it was so interesting because not wearing them brought up a lot of fear. And then two years later, re-entering the world with them brought up new fear because then I had to look at everything super clearly. It's so easy to not be worried about things like little details of your body or ring. Everybody looks photoshopped when you have the vision like I do. It's so easy to feel relaxed and everyone's glowing. And then when you wear the contacts, you're like, whoa, everyone is so much uglier. Because you just get used to this two years of not seeing anyone very clearly. And you put that on, yourself and everyone else is far more defined. And that shift in those immediate few days was quite shocking. And it was the ego is like, oh God, well, there's now a million things I would change about myself now that I can see them. Or even dirt and Airbnbs, I couldn't see it very well. I couldn't see all the hair on the floor (laughs) in the bathroom. (laughs) So I never worried about it, but now I could. So that was an interesting thing to kind of re-enter the world in its more solid form. But now, of course, that's my new reality. So yeah, very long answers to it was a fascinating experiment in consciousness. And if when it's supposed to come back in its full form, I trust that it will, but I'm not going to worry or feel like a failure in the meantime. Now we have Heidi Shaman who said, what is the leading edge of your evolution currently? In recent weeks, I've been joking that my mind has started load shedding sometimes. Now, load shedding is a term I learned here in Cape Town. So in South Africa, and I've I've heard other places do this as well, other countries, but I don't know if they call it load shedding in other countries. So load shedding is when the electrical companies will turn off electricity for certain periods of day. It's usually planned. So the first few weeks of Cape Town, they would send out these alerts saying, hey, it's a stage two load shedding day or a stage six load shedding day. And each area in the city has a chart that they've made up that will say from 4 to 6.30 p.m. or from midnight to 2.30 a.m., you're not going to have electricity in your area. 
it's really bizarre to anyone in a first world country that has, you know, like in America, it's just such a different experience than this. But this is just something that for the first few weeks of me being here was happening very, very prevalently. It's every day, sometimes two and a half to five hours, sometimes even more than that a day. So it was intense. And it's kind of unpredictable in the sense that it hasn't been happening lately, but it, it happens every now and then. It's kind of weird and bizarre and strange. And everyone that's experienced it here in South Africa knows what I'm talking about. But anyways, load shedding is the electricity gets turned off. What I noticed in recent weeks is that my mind was turning off. <laughs> and so there would be these points where my brain would just not function. And that doesn't mean I'm like a vegetable and a coma, but what it meant was that I would just not have the ability or energy or focus to actually go out and operate in the world. And the only thing that could make sense or be energetically pleasing to do was to sit on the sofa and stare at the big tree outside the window and watch the birds and the breeze. Like it was like nothing else was going to, it would be too much for the mind. So I started joking that my mind started load shedding and it was fascinating to experience. And I think it was a part of the shifting consciousness within myself. That said, I don't know that everyone's going to have that experience. It's just something that I've been having lately for like load shedding, two and a half to five hours a day, depending on the days. Yeah, it is a lot like load shedding because you don't really know when it's going to happen. Although load shedding, you technically have a heads up the day before. I don't really know when this is going to happen, but when it happens, it's just like the brain is out. It's not going to function. It's just wants to be and there's not thoughts going through the mind very much. It's just still silence. It's kind of like sensory deprivation tank. I can still use all my senses. I'm just not thinking. So that's been happening. And like I said, it was a bit concerning, but I'm so into this. If Even if I go crazy, because <laughs> your mind wonders, like, am I going crazy? Because it's so rare for people to be this intense about this kind of stuff. As I'm experiencing it, there's not a ton of people I can go to to like get feedback. So I'm not always sure what's happening and if it's normal or good or whatever. Hopefully as more people have these transitions and experiences, this will become a more normalized experience and you'll go, oh yeah, yeah, I'm doing that load shedding thing Jess talked about. And you're not going to worry about it where I was like, yeah, am I going crazy? <laughs> but even if I am, I'd rather go crazy than stay how I was. So I'm going to find out. Yeah. <laughs> Did Jess just say she wants to go crazy? I don't want to go crazy. I'm just willing to see what happens if I really let go. Okay, guys, and here is our last question. It's from Ron Jaka, who said, what is your approach on eating? How do you align before a meal and stop stressing out about what society is telling us this food is doing with our health? When I eat this, my skin is going to break out. When I eat that, I'll have digestive issues, etc." Thanks, Jess. Okay, I'm gonna go to all the inner voice sessions that I do with clients. When I get them out of their heads, which can sometimes be a challenge depending if the mind has a lot of stories on what they should or shouldn't eat in the mind. But when I get them out of their mind, Every inner voice's answer to every person I've ever worked with, and now I've done almost 100 people, I think, at this point, they all say the same thing because it's my new perception is that like that inner voice is it's the same energy in everyone. So always will advise in unique ways for each individual, but is like the same consciousness. So the perspective is the same. They all say, if it makes you happy or feel good, I would say happy is an emotion. So let's say, if it feels good, eat it. If it doesn't feel good, don't eat it. That's all they say. That They don't say like, don't eat dairy. They don't say don't eat 
me, they don't say anything other than if it feels good. Now, for me, as an example, I haven't eaten meat in a long time, but I don't have a huge story. Yes, I know that there are people's stories around meat that are, you know, the environment or for your body, etc. on both directions, that it's really healthy or unhealthy for your body or the environment. I don't care about any of that. I just don't want to eat it. That's it. I don't want to eat it. I just would rather eat something else. It's just like some people don't like beets. I actually don't like beets, <laughs> so I don't eat them. I like beets in juice, but I don't eat regular beets because I don't prefer them. I don't eat meat for the same reason I don't eat beets. I don't like them, don't prefer it. I'm never missing it. When I'm at a buffet, I don't want to eat it because it's just a flavor, a thing I don't like. So I don't eat it. It's not what I want. So when the inner voice says, you know, eat what feels good, me eating meat would not feel good right now. But if it later did feel good to eat meat, I would trust that that's the right thing for me to do. And I would trust that if it felt good to eat it, there's probably some connection to that being something my body might need. Maybe it would feel good all of a sudden. I think that's why pregnant women seem to maybe get all those cravings. If they're not psychosomatic, I think a lot of them may be helping with what the intuition needs for potentially, I'm just guessing here, things that the mother needs for the development of the child or the balancing of the body. So I just trust that what feels good is the right thing. But ultimately, I also did go through years of my skin breaking out while I would eat things like eggs and dairy and gluten. And I rebelled. I didn't want to be limited. A lot of people tend to find their sensitivities and then avoid them and make a new persona out of how they don't eat gluten and dairy. And they are kind of proud about that. And they kind of become these evangelists for it cool if that's making you happy. But for me, I was always like, wait, no, I want to be a magi. I want to be a magician. If I'm God and I'm all this and I'm creating my own reality, why would I want to avoid something that brings me happiness in the human form at least? That was always a conflict for me is this idea. I never wanted to just settle for a limitation. Why would I want to settle for a limitation? Now, like the meat's not a limitation for me. I could eat meat if I wanted to. I just don't want to. So that was not a limitation. But cheese felt like a limitation because I did like cheese. I did want to eat it. I don't like milk. That's not a limitation. I don't want to guzzle any milk ever. So no limitation there. Cheese was a limitation. Bread was a limitation because I enjoyed those things and I wanted them to be a part of my life. So there were a lot of years where there was this struggle and stress and mixed vibration to like a really classic degree between that of watching the results, but then not wanting to be limited by those results. And I asked a really wise spiritual teacher once, he had a lot of perspective on stuff and I told her this whole thing. And she goes, well, you can't until you can, which I said earlier, you can't until you can. Now I can, but for those other years, I couldn't but I wanted to. So the desire was there, but I noticed the impact would be different on the skin each different way. What later ended up happening alongside all of that for me on my personal food journey was that I ended up having an inner voice session with a woman who was really lovely and her inner voice was very strong. It was her inner voice, but it's kind of borderline channeling. And her inner voice wanted to work with me after her session was over. So she's like, I have no idea what's going on, but I feel like I'm supposed to have this session with you. And we had this lovely conversation, her inner voice and I, and before the conversation, it occurred to me, how could the whole period thing 
be beneficial in my life? How could that have been a gift for me? Not getting my period till I was 31 naturally, having the skin issues while I dated for the first several years of traveling, blah, blah, blah. How could that have been a gift for me? And I felt into it and I thought about it and I thought, well, I never had a period. So when I was younger, I never was going to have a kid theoretically with someone I wasn't supposed to have a child with. And then I went on birth control, so I was on the pill, so I wasn't, still wasn't going to have a kid with anyone. And I had great skin on the pill, so it wasn't even an acne. I just got to have a great life. And then right around the time that I got divorced and started traveling, right around that time is when I met the Elisa Vitti protocol and all of that potential for your body being able to heal itself and to regulate its own periods naturally, which my gynecologist told me wasn't possible from having PCOS as a kid. And they said that wasn't going to be possible. Well, Elisa said otherwise. And I lit up. I felt deep down that that was possibly true. So I was all in, as you guys heard on earlier seasons of the show. But then the skin, as I was traveling, I was not going to eat the Elisa Vitti protocol. <laughs> Love you, Elisa. Not going to eat chickpeas on the week one and then corn on week two and whatever, whatever. While I'm living around the world, it was just not going to happen. I also feel like though those things can be beneficial, ultimately my belief, I want to hold a potential for my body to be able to balance itself without so much mental control on all of those choices in the mind. Like I can only eat these foods, but if your inner voice wants to eat broccoli instead of cauliflower that week that you shouldn't eat that, I don't know. It just seems a bit mental. So all of this said, I reflected this July, but when I was there during the session with this person, I reflected on how could this have been good? Well, didn't have a kid with someone that I would have then had a kid with and I wouldn't have traveled. I wouldn't have gone through the journey I've been through. So not having my period was a gift because I never had a child, never had that happen sooner. Then I went off the pill and then the skin started flaring up. And I was like, well, how could the acne have been a gift? And as I reflected on it, I told this story because of my skin in those early years of traveling, that if my skin wasn't clear, that I wasn't going to find the partner that was right for me. Now, this is a flawed premise. Of course, the partners that's right for you <laughs> would love you because you're you. And if you had that skin, they would by definition be the right partner for you because they loved you. And if you had that skin, then they would just have accepted that too. But my mind had this flawed premise that I need to have the clear skin in order to find a person that I wanted to be with or that wanted to be with me. So I had that whole thing. So that was like energetically kind of a veil kind of repulsing, whether the guys actually cared about the skin or not, I had this belief in myself. So I was creating my own reality. I energetically was putting out there that I'm not worthy if I don't have the clear skin. So even if they didn't even care, they're probably feeling energetically some weird vibration, some weird feeling from me because of my own interior thoughts about my own skin and my own situation. And how that projected to them, of course, had some you know, vague, but probably felt experience in themselves. And none of those other people, would I say, needed to be the right person. So that was also protecting me from settling with someone too soon because my beliefs prevented it because I didn't think I was worthy if I didn't have the clear skin. So all of that eventually over time of travel and of expansion led me to this whole concept of realization. And then I realized, okay, yeah, this is what I want if I had settled sooner, may not have gotten to that place. Now, that doesn't mean if you settled and you have a family that you couldn't get to the state of realization. That's not to say that's not true for you. What I'm saying is that my own journey 
would have gone differently. Maybe I would have found it in some other way, but the way it led for me, the way things played out, that's what happened. So as I reflected on that, I was like, oh, I wouldn't have realized I wanted to be realized. I wouldn't have realized that I wanted to go beyond my mind. I would have been so busy having kids and having this family and this partner and co-creating with them and blah, 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 doing all the Abrahamic stuff that I was loving in the earlier phases. I still obviously use the law of attraction in the sense that I still use gravity now. (laughs) I'm just not defined by I'm not trying to use my mind to manipulate gravity and I'm not trying to use my mind to manipulate law of attraction. It's still happening. I just want my mind more out of the way than I previously did. And I want to go beyond it and I want to expand consciousness beyond the mind. All of that stuff is very new. And so the gift of the skin and the eating issues and all that stuff was helping me be alone and find myself in the process and find that desire. And on a soul level, on a higher perspective level, I feel like that was probably what my soul wanted to experience in this lifetime. And this was a path and a gift to give me. It was a path. Maybe there could have been others, but the one that was selected and played out was that. And now in the conversation with the inner voice of the woman in July, they said, yes, that's exactly true. And... Now that you've realized that, you don't need to have that protection. You have discernment with the partner. You're not going to just settle for someone too soon or for the wrong person. So you have discernment there and you don't need the skin to be this like veil, this protection mechanism. So now, ever since then, I've had normal periods very regularly and I can pretty much eat whatever I want to eat, but also eggs, gluten, dairy, and all that stuff. And yeah, every now and then I'll get a pimple or something, but nothing dramatic and nothing at all like what I used to. So all of that said, I never would have imagined for all those years that that was a gift and that that was kind of a loving protection, if you will, protecting me from myself, like what, I don't know, protecting me from a different outcome than the one that's played out. I can just say that. And though it didn't have to play out in that direction in that way, it did. And now I'm really happy because I have this perspective and realization. I have this discernment on the partner and not settling too soon. And I don't need to have my skin be the thing that protects me against that any longer. And I don't need to worry about having children with the wrong person and settling again too soon. That is now discernment within my choice and my connection to myself to make deeply instead of from my mind like I could have before. So yeah, there you guys have it. That is a very long, a very interesting rambling Q&A. But yes, again, like I said last week, if you like this, I guess, as I share these stories and personal anecdotes of this journey and all the different phases therein, let me know. If this is some type of show you guys would like more of, please let me know. Most likely over on Instagram at Jess C as in consciousness or cookie lively, Jess C lively. And until next week, May something wonderful happen to you today.